G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. A little bit of a focus today on one of those questions you might have asked if you're thinking about how old the universe might be. Because when you look at the stars in the sky, the ability to travel to those stars or the time that it takes for light even to travel to those stars in distant galaxies throughout the universe is an enormous amount of time. And if that light has travelled to the Earth, that might give you an idea of how old the universe potentially is. Well, let's talk through this issue today with visiting nuclear physicist Dr Jim Mason, who's in Australia from Canada. Hello, Jim Mason. Welcome along to 2020. Thank you very much. Jim, I imagine this question comes up when you're addressing audiences around the world. The fact that light takes so long to travel uh, through the universe, uh, the time that it takes, perhaps even older than what biblical scholars say this is the age of the earth. How do you address that question? Yeah, it's a question we get frequently as CMI speakers. If if the earth is only 6,000 years old, how is it we can see this light? from galaxies that are apparently billions of light years away if the Earth is only 6,000 years old and light takes a a year to travel a light year. And and I think the important issue to to understand in order to come to grips with this problem is that, as Einstein pointed out to us, time is not constant. Time is not a constant thing. Time is relative. Clocks tick at different rates depending on their particular environment. So his special theory of relativity showed us that clocks tick at a different rate when they're traveling very near the speed of light. And his general theory of relativity showed us that clocks tick at different rates depending on the gravitational field that they're in. So there's no sort of common universal universe time, if you like. And there are a number of... of, uh, Uh, explanations for this distant starlight dilemma, so-called, that most of which um, deal with this idea that clocks run at different rates depending on different conditions. So essentially what it is is that, that in the distant cosmos, in the past, clocks have run at a different rate because of one condition or another, and there are two different models that are used to explain this time dilation that makes clocks run at different rates. For those of us who are not especially uh, physics-minded, scientifically-minded, it's difficult to grasp the concept. Uh, Do you find that people have difficulty understanding the way that time may well run at different rates throughout the universe? Well, yes. It's not an easy thing to wrap one's mind around because we're all used to the time that that we experience and, and read off our cell phones, right? And to us, that seems like the only time that there is. And while somebody else's clock might be set a little bit differently than ours, we kind of appreciate that there is, for our own purposes, a standard reference, accurate, correct time. 
But as, as I said, Einstein's theory tells us that this is not true universally, that it's true locally for individual clocks, but it's not true locally. And once you sort of can accept that, then it becomes much easier to understand how clocks can run at different rates in different parts of the universe under different conditions and then begin to understand these various models that have been put forward for explaining this distant starlight dilemma. And it, and it is difficult to explain them like uh, in a conversation. It's much easier to do when I have pictures that I can show that illustrate particular things. When physicists get together and you're sitting around and you're debating these types of issues, is this a growing understanding of the way that time is relative throughout the universe? Uh, well, I think the, the appreciation that time is relative uh, with respect to Einstein's theories is universally accepted amongst physicists. Uh, the idea that there could be other uh, influences on time, I, I think, is growing slowly. Some of it, uh, some one of the models is based on equations actually that were developed by a Israeli physicist, uh, Dr. Moshe Carmeli, and the application of that to cosmological problems. So uh, I, I think there's some appreciation out there that, that time isn't as fixed as we l- might like to think it is. So, Jim, for Christian believers who are sitting down, they've got the Bible open at Genesis chapter 1, and they're reading about uh, God being uh, the creator. Uh, how do you fit all of these uh, ideas about physics uh, into an understanding that Genesis chapter 1 is, in fact, history of the world? Well, in, in a couple of my talks, I actually go through those uh, first few uh, verses in Genesis and uh, have some illustrations of, of what they mean pictorially, and then I use that to demonstrate the impact of these different running clocks at different places in the universe to, to show how what you read in the Bible is absolutely true from the perspective of us here on Earth. Jim, what sort of responses are you receiving when you're delivering your presentations on behalf of Creation Ministries? Um, Well, that one in particular, since it's fairly technical, gets quite a range of responses from, that was very interesting, but but I struggled with a lot of it, to, ah, now I understand. Uh, In general, when I'm talking about other topics like radiometric dating or the interpretation of the fossil record, uh, or just about anything where uh, it's uh, we explain how what we actually see in uh, the various disciplines of science in terms of the, the actual scientific observations is just what you would expect to see based on the Genesis uh, account being read as real history. When I, when I explain, show how that's the case, um, it's like a light bulb goes on. Well, I'm sure there'll be people who are interested in these scientific elements of how you understand creation. And I'll point people to the website at creation.com because on there, there are dates. You are speaking through this weekend at various places throughout southeast Queensland. And I know you'll get a great reception and uh, there'll be people who'll offer uh, all sorts of support, but also have some pretty ticklish questions that I'm sure you'll be able to answer for them. 
Jim Mason, nuclear physicist, visiting Australia this weekend. He's in southeast Queensland. Uh, Jim, how long are you in Australia for? Uh, I'm leaving on Tuesday. Next Tuesday, I'm flying to New Zealand and I'm doing a um, tour in New Zealand until the end of the month. Okay, Jim Mason, thanks so much for being with us today on 2020. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.